Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Nightmare. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Ghost Chronicles. And I am Ron Kolick, your host, for a realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. New England's semi-Van Helsink. Right here, broadcasting live from Haunted BZ Park. So, there you go. Uh, with me, all the way across the pond, is the goldish standard in ghost hunting. The leader of para, no, um, parascient, Steve Parsons. What have you been drinking? Hi. <laughs> Hello. W- w- what's up? I don't know. Just, that wasn't your usual introduction. No, I'm trying to hardwire my laptop as we speak. So uh, so you were distracted. Yeah, it could be. Could well, be, could are. be. Mind you, I've been somewhat distracted myself the last day. Why? What you been up to? Well, you know what? You know, all this trouble, all this talk of climate change and global warming. Yep. And it's beginning to grate because the more you dig into the science behind it, you actually realize that it isn't science. It isn't, uh, 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 you know, it's a theory. And it's an untested theory. And it's an unproven theory. This idea that we're, you know, filling. I mean, nobody disputes. That the that the temperature is going up and going down and going right. up and going down, and nobody disputes that the amount of CO two in the atmosphere is increasing. They are they are fixed measurements. They are objectively obtained measurements. Mm-hmm. But you get all of this know, chicken little stuff by the IPCC and the government shouting, oh, we've got for Al Gore, oh, you know, I mean, if Al Gore was right, we'd be all be dead by now or drowned, and clearly we're not. Well, that's going to happen when you leave Breckwood, whatever that is, the UO. Yeah, whatever that is. Um, Yet, do you remember back in the 80s, the world was crashing headlong to an ice age? Oh, yeah. It's it's just bad science, and it's been hijacked. I was reading a very interesting article that actually this global warming stuff is becoming more of a religion and a cult than true science. And when you dig down into this scientific consensus, mm-hmm. you actually realize that there's a great many climate scientists, and I mean scientists who study the climate, not people like Brian Cox, who's an astrophysicist or... Others who are, you know, just scientists who who actually don't agree that uh, anthropogenic man-made um, global warming, called, you know, CO2 emissions are actually causing any global climate change. Yes, the climate is changing. Nobody disputes that. But then the climate has always changed. 
for 400 years, we had a, a mini ice age between, you know, that ended around the, the beginning of the 19th century. You know, we, we have these fluctuations. Yeah, we had that in New England, actually. Yeah, I mean, we, you have this, this notion that um, the Arctic ice is, is disappearing, and yet it's actually increasing. NASA themselves have said that there is more ice in the Arctic year on year than there has been for the last 10 years. Really? And now, that doesn't stand up to what Al Gore told us, you know, that the all of a sudden, whoosh, the Arctic's going to disappear. Oh, the inventor of the uh, internet. Yeah, yeah, an inconvenient internet. It's just, yeah. And we've got, all of these, we've got all of these governments taxing the life out of us for, you know, we've all got to be carbon neutral and carbon efficient and carbon this and... and in actual fact, you realise that it's very good if you're a government or a big corporation with your hands in a in wind turbine technology or, or other green technologies. But there's no science. There's, it's not supported science. Which is um, a bit depressing, really. You know, you considering... Looking, looking down through the temperature records, they tell us year on year that um, this is the hottest year on record, yet this is the hottest year on record. That you, this is, And you actually look at the, the climate records, and they're right. very incomplete, and they're from a very narrow part of the, you know, there's, there's really only the UK parts of Europe and North America where climate measurements going back any time at all exist. I agree with you. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's this climate change, but that's I believe it's natural. I mean, chi- climate change happens all the time. In, uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Nobody disputes that the climate is changing. Yeah. Anyway, uh, one of the yeah. things I I did want to talk about. I didn't want to get into too much into climate change. Anyways, I know you. I let you rant for the first uh, seven minutes or so, but uh, it's time to talk about <laughs> ghosts. It was to give you a chance to get connected up and called back. Uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, the, the uh, you know, I, I've been watching these conspiracy things, uh, documentaries, supposedly. Oh, yeah. And it, it's really funny because you have one, it'll tell you, well, you know, the moon landing was fake. We couldn't possibly go to the moon. And then you listen to another one. Well, we've had alien technologies. We've been going back into the fourth of the moon for 11 years. We reversed engineering stuff. It's <laughs> like, oh, God. One of my one of my favourites is uh, there's a banner headline on one of the Flat Earth Society uh, Facebook pages, and it says we have members all around the globe. Yeah. It's a Flat Earth Society. Ah, around the globe, I got it. Okay, it took me a little minute. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody didn't think that one through. Evidently not. So well, anyway, right. I mean. Man loves, I mean, wherever there's a mystery, be it ghosts, be it sea monsters, be it who shot JFK, who killed JR, you know, yeah. we, if we don't have an answer, then... The Pope was assassinated. Well, if we don't have an answer, then social media, I mean, there's always been conspiracy theories, but I think with social media, these things just get out there. You know, the trap door is, the stable door's open, and the horse is not just bolted. Mm. It's over the hills and far away. It's in the next state before, you know, <laughs> before anybody can do anything about it. And it does allow people with some of the bizarrest ideas 
a free range to to stand on their soapbox and um yeah yeah there we are funny so, old world of yeah, I, so, I, I hearken back to the days of the 1970s and good old Arthur C. Clarke. Yes, in the mysterious world of Arthur C. Clarke, which I love, by the way, and I have the complete set. But, all right, I'm so just I'm looking gonna... at my signed copy of Arthur C. Clarke's World of Strange Powers. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I actually talk to him all the time because, you know, I'm a medium, so I can just talk to him. Oh, you're a medium this uh, week, yeah, are you? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah when I did that my, happen? I, I got my degree. I was struck by lightning, so uh, uh-huh. I, I'm becoming me. I was walking. Yeah, actually, I, I, that was another documentary I saw about uh, people being struck by lightning. They become psychics. So, or they walk down the street and all the street lights turn on and off. Mm. So, anyways, uh, one of the yeah. interesting things I wanted to talk about uh, was was uh, well. Let me start it off. Uh, Go ahead, then. You started. Throughout history, there have been numerous reports of extraordinary phenomena known as spontaneous human combustion. Incidents of people allegedly burning on their own without any apparent form of external ignition. Here is one such account. And this is a good one. This is actually in the the reported by Larry E. Arnold, the director of Parascience International. So... uh, Nothing, yep. and I must just stress at this point, absolutely nothing to do with us. With who? With parascience. Oh, right. Anyways, uh, it was 6 o'clock on the evening of uh, April 24th, 1970. Dr. E.J. Sullivan, a physician and retired U.S. commander, collapsed on the bed in his room at the Vernum uh, Manor Hotel. Sounds like a classy place. In Cincinnati, Ohio. He had just finished making arrangements for the funeral of his wife. Oh, that's pretty sucks. Who had just died that morning. Wow, this guy's got it bad. Now filled with grief and then potent rage at having lost the woman he loved. Impotent? Impotent. Uh, Impotent rage, okay. Just couldn't get it up. Yeah, evidently he lost the woman he loved. He reached on what he felt was the lowest point of his life. Uh Uh-uh. The next memory, Dr. Sullivan says, uh, is becoming aware of a phone ringing and trying to fight my way up and out of whatever I was in to answer it. I gradually came to realize something was wrong. I tried to get up, but I could not. I tried to open my hands. They would not open. My left hand was all blotchy. My blotches, the blotches were blisters. One uh, great amber, ugh, amber-filled blister rang along the side of my frozen thumb. <laughs> this is gross. Uh, <laughs> had I been in a fire, Burns said. Uh, his hand itself uh, was numb and as uh, free of feeling as possible. So anyways, he lay there trying to figure out what was happening. Blistered arms and legs. Dr. Sullivan's cries alerted the hotel employee who summoned help. George M. Lawton, uh, Dr. Uh, Sullivan's personal physician, arrived and examined the patient. He found that blisters covered Sullivan's hands, forearms, legs, and feet. He had forearms? Yeah, forearms, F-O-R-E. 
We say that in America. Despite Sullivan's protest that he had not been in contact with any electrical or anything else, uh, these were definitely the scorch marks on the bed. so the the case of the blisters were from electrical burns. That's what they diagnosed. Lost hours. Then the mystery took a fresh turn while waiting for an ambulance to take him to a nearby Cincinnati Jewish hospital. Uh, Doctor Sullivan saw the nine. What saw the time? Oh wow! It was now six p.m. on April twenty-fifth. Twenty-four hours had elapsed since he had originally stretched out on his bed. And uh, he couldn't account for it. The burns that had caused uh, Dr. Sullivan's hand to lose ability to grip, a loss that turned out to be permanent. Uh, Dr. Lawton diagnosed as electrical burns, yet they could find no uh, appliances nearby. Haunted by the mystery of what happened to him during the last 24 hours, uh, Dr. Uh, Sullivan was you know, really curious and ceaselessness. I don't like these words. Nothing in his medical training could begin to suggest a solution to him. Then one day he heard of spontaneous human combustion. Suddenly he was convinced that that what he had discovered uh, the source of his burns. For example, uh, the burning rage. Hmm, I don't know. I had uh, lost everything that had meant to me, me and his wife. And he had a burning rage, so he believes that his energy somehow caused him to, his body to ignite. So anyways, in some strange manner, beyond the presence of scientific understanding, the fierce, fierce heat of his emotions had been translated into an actual physical heat, so powerful that it had caused his body to ignite. What do you think? Uh, what about that particular case? Yeah, that particular that... case. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of information, and what confused me a little bit was multiple. Uh, well, that didn't help, but multi- multiple um, phenomena that were being reported. I mean, we had time slip phenomena, apparent time slip phenomena. Yeah. We, I mean, that's that's more complex than your standard. Uh, spontaneous human combustion. Yeah, I usually keep laying around afterwards. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess you would probably be a little bit, um, but um, so we got a marshmallow by then. Well, the problem with all of these is you re- you're reliant upon what you're being told by the person making the report, be it first hand or third hand or, or it was whatever. A report though. Well, it's. And he was a doctor. That doesn't make him infallible, though, does it? No, I didn't say he was infallible. Um, it's a more credence to what his uh, diagnostic would be to me. I mean, if you were a, a mechanic and your car was making thing. Uh, oh, I, I didn't say I didn't. I, I, yeah, I mean, let, let's. Um, you've got to try and pull the different threads apart, though, haven't you? I mean, are we dealing with, or which do we deal with, in, and in which order? Do we try and look at the spontaneous? combustion uh, and the causes that might be might be there could if it was electrical um, you know, there are certain uh, you know if you are subjected to electrical uh, discharge lightning or, or from uh, the supply it can affect uh, your memory your brain functioning 
And so that could that could result in unconsciousness or altered consciousness states, which could result in the loss of time being perceived by the person. Or, or it could have just been that they'd been unconscious, flat out for 24 hours. Um, so I think looking at the, or listening to the evidence, listening to the presentation of the evidence... Um, the ele- it was presented. Well, the, the electrical... Uh, being being uh, subjected to some form of electrical discharge would seem a plausible line of first inquiry. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't just need to stick your fingers in a socket or, you know, you, there are other ways that you can be affected by high-voltage electricity. It can arc over. It can jump through free air in certain circumstances. Yeah, but don't we produce electricity ourselves? We do internally produce quite a considerable amount of it. Uh, but it's never the voltage that kills you. It's always the current. Mm-hmm. Um, that's you know that's the key thing. You so could, could emotions somehow increase the well, current? St- well, when we when we pull man-made fibers over our head or we touch something and we get a static discharge, that that familiar crack or sparks, um, the the voltage there can be tens of thousands of volts, but the current is negligible, which is why we just get a you know a small crack and a you know we don't get hurt by it. Um, so likewise, you can have quite low voltages at very high currents that can that can kill you instantly. Mm-hmm. Um, what you what you would be looking for is a reasonable source of the electrical discharge. Right. Um, and they said they couldn't find any at that particular time. Well, within the property, absolutely. But um, one one potential possibility could Martians? be aliens, could, right? One potential possibility. Um, could be um, a sudden power surge from uh, the supply itself, uh, which caused a jump effect. You know, like a like when you work, when a, a linesman gets too close to a power power line. Right. And one thing that that um, I would certainly look at as a researcher and uh, understanding physics is I would look at the weather because you could have had a high-voltage uh, potential being built up um, in the form of, you know, a, a, exactly the same as in a thunderstorm, because in a thunderstorm, it's not the lightning uh, coming to earth. It actually starts, it's a drawn to a high potential on the ground. And there are several instances, in fact, there are quite a lot of accounts of people who are indoors being struck by lightning. Um, and lightning doesn't always require, you know, thick black cumulus clouds in order to manifest. So it could just be, uh, however unlikely and bizarre it, it sounds, it could be he was struck by lightning. It's true. That's a it's a good point. Ball lightning uh, can travel and through. Yeah, that's a it's a good point. I mean, Valid. It, it is something that you would need to eliminate um, before progressing further. Uh, and one way of doing that is, I mean, we do have a, a network of lightning detectors um, in North America and in the United Kingdom. And it would be something worthwhile consulting to see, you know, was there any recorded discharges, uh, electrical discharges, um, weather related uh, at that time? Was there, for example, a, a powerful hailstorm going on? Was uh, a lot of dust in the air because around volcanoes and around dust storms, you do also get uh, highly localized electrical discharges. 
you know, you see this in volcanoes, don't you? Um, it's also well known in, in, for example, in the deserts and in the desert regions of North America, where you get dust blowing and building up into a dust storm, and the as as the the individual billions of dust particles bang and crash into each other, you get this electrical discharging, and you see these lightning flashes inside dust storms and volcanic dust clouds. Mm-hmm. So it's something I would like, to, you know, as a researcher, um, an investigator, it's something that I would put on, you know, on the list of things to consider. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good. We just don't know. Yep. So what do you got, my friend? Well, you know, I'm always drawn with Arthur, Arthur C. Clarke and his mysterious ward. Oh, yeah. The very, the very earliest uh, accounts were, um, he, he tended to deal with, uh, I was going to say the mundane, um, if you can call poltergeist, for example, mundane. And that poltergeist did actually feature quite a lot in the Mysterious World series. Uh, you know, right the way back to the earliest, uh, some of the earliest accounts, like the um, the drummer of Tedworth, and oh, cool. and, and um, even before that, uh, there were poltergeists. <laughs> And it's it's interesting that um, I mean I'm not going to rehash Poltergeist. We've done them many many times on the show, but it's it's interesting reading uh, through the uh, the book because we always thought that the television series was, or we always consider that many television programs are a little light, a little lightweight, a little bit sort of um, short on content, but. One of the things that the, the certainly the initial series of um, the Mysterious World did is it actually went into quite some considerable detail. And the books and the, the subsequent, I think, multi-part um, magazine went into a great deal of detail. And the chapter that, you know, from the 1980, I think 1984, uh, was it? 84, the book? Blah, 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 Whenever it was. Yeah, 1984. Um, there is a chapter called The Noisy Spirits, and it begins with an account, uh, a good account of the 1967 um, case that took place in a lawyer's office in the town of Rosenheim in Germany. And it, invol- it involved uh, or centred around a young office worker, a female office worker. And it, perhaps one of the most notable uh, features of this um, was the telephone um, or the telephone system. And it says the first sign that something odd was happening had come in the summer of 1967 when all of the lawyers' practice telephones began to play up. Sometimes they would all ring at once, although nobody turned out to be on the line. And conversations were frequently disrupted by irritating clicking sounds. The office manager naturally complained to the telephone company and engineers were sent to put these things right, which should have been a simple task, but they were totally unable to pinpoint a fault. Indeed, their investigations convinced them that the mechanism was in perfect working order. <clears throat> now, what began, what started that way uh, spiralled um, because these phenomena continued. The phones kept... Um, misbehaving and after weeks of this uh, the engineers returned and conducted meticulous tests um, but could find no 
the cause of this. In fact, the, the problems seem to be getting worse and worse and worse. Uh, to the point where the engineers installed a meter that, which monitored every single call coming in. It did nothing at all to sort out the problem. In fact, it just deepened the mystery because this meter showed that dozens of calls were being registered on the telephones um, which were no longer being used at the time oh, wow. of printout. During the time, for example, when the offices were closed or when people were out of the office on breaks, some of the numbers were, were being dialed with an astonishing speed and frequency. And on one particular day, the meter showed that the, uh, the number of the German speaking clock had been rung 46 times in 15 minutes. Um, the other thing that, that happened, and again, let me might relate to the previous case, um, fluorescent tubes repeatedly twisted themselves out of their sockets, light bulbs exploded, drawers shot out of the desk, pictures were rotating on the walls, and developing fluid gushed out from the photocopiers. The electrical supply to the building fluctuated alarmingly, and yet the experts who'd been called in, the telephone engineers, the electricians, and even a team ultimately of uh, physicists were forced to admit, even after uh, an extensive investigation, that they could find no reason whatsoever for the extraordinary ev uh, ev events which had been witnessed by over 40 individuals, including the engineers and um, uh, telephone uh, sorry, telephone engineers and electricians, they ultimately concluded that the havoc was being caused by an intelligently controlled force with a tendency to evade investigation. Ooh. Now, that's... that's aliens. Well, oh. they, don't, they don't say anything, do they? I mean... going to have aliens come but, on. I mean, that's actually a really interesting conclusion, isn't it? I mean, yes. I'm just going to read that again. Uh, the baffled physicists concluded that the havoc was being caused by an intelligently controlled force with a tendency to evade investigation. Now, that's... So, otherwise, they don't know is what they're saying. Well, they don't know, but what they are saying is it appears to be intelligent and it appears to be actively evading um, our attempts to understand it. Mm-hmm. Now that's and that's something that you you could also relate in other poltergeist cases, uh, yeah. where the poltergeist seems to be playing with the investigators. That was the case at Enfield. It would do things as soon as the investigator or the investigators would ask the guys to do something. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't. They would go off and do something else, and it would immediately do the thing that they had been previously asked to. It was like it was playing with them. Sounds like uh, an episode of uh, Phone Calls from the Dead. Perhaps it's one for Dr. Cooper. Yeah, perhaps. So anyways, we are coming up the break, so we do have to take a break. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles International right here on Tojanet Parax Radio as we explore the mysterious world we live in with Ron Kolick and Steve Parsons. And we'll be right back after we go searching for sea monsters. Oh, God. Still.
Welcome to Toginet, radio with a cutting edge. Hi, Steve Parsons here looking for sea monsters in Tenby, West Wales. And I'll be over in New England looking for your sea monsters this coming fall. Join me, Ron Kolek, and a host of others at Spirit Quest 2018. We'll see you there. listening to the mysterious world of New England's own Van Helsing and the Golden Standard as we wade through um, old issues of Officer Clark. Yeah? <laughs> I guess I'm the only one here again, am I? Oh dear. Right, well I might be the only one here again. Um, can somebody let me know in the Skype chat whether I'm actually talking to myself or whether I fell off the end of the planet? Ah, they're, le they're letting me know as we speak. In which case... Uh, just me? Is it just me? He looks to be on. Yeah, well, he's probably just sitting there quietly waiting for a blessing because um, one of the interesting things that uh, was covered in the mysterious world were um, stigmata. Because uh, in the spring of 1974, uh, a class of school children in Oakland, California... Can you hear me? They can. I was just talking about the class of school children in Oakland, California, who in 1974 witnessed a strange and disturbing manifestation, the bleeding wounds of Christ, the stigmata, which appeared on one of their classmates. And for at least 700 years, these phenomena, um, since the time of St. Francis of Assisi, uh, who was the first recorded to have manifested the stigmata, there have been numerous cases where devout Roman Catholics have apparently found their bodies beginning to shed blood, as depicted on the statues. So like what I do in this show. Yeah, as depicted on the statues and icons of crucifixion that are to be found in almost every Catholic church. Mm. Uh, but in Emory High School, Oakland, it's about as remote as you can get from this uh, sort of obsessive European religion. The children there were mainly black, their parents Baptists, and their fathers were, were whatever longshoremen is uh, down at Oakland docks or bus drivers. 
around the bay in San Francisco. But in Easter week 1974, the Reverend Anthony Burros, Burros, is that Spanish for donkey? Was te- Burros was teaching the uh, fifth grade um, uh, group of children whom he knew well. Um, it was mid-morning and during a math lesson when one of the stigmata came on in a most dramatic fashion to a 12-year-old or to 12-year-old Claretta Robertson, a chubby girl always neatly dressed with a round face and bobs in her hair. Mr. Burroughs said, it just happened like she was shot with a machine gun right across her forehead. Ooh. Yeah, I don't know if we should cover this one with school shootings being so common in the news. Yeah, not so good. (laughs) Blood was flowing all down her face, all over her eyes. It was like there was a crown of thorns around her head, and she was just smiling and talking. Uh, Just didn't hurt, evidently, right? Apparently not. Uh, Father Boros had no doubt that he was seeing the final stage in an extreme case of stigmata. Um... A case unique that it was not happening to a non-white, non-Catholic girl. Wow. Uh, Stigmata are are really quite fascinating because... um, They're intriguing because um, there is is something different. um, You know, the the classic wounds of the stigmatist um, are through the palms uh, of the hands... Um, the head and, of course, in the side. Um, all where the uh, wounds are depicted on statuary and in, and in paintings and artworks. However, uh, as is fairly well known now, that's not how the Romans crucified people uh, because you can't crucify somebody through the palms because they would fall off. Um, and so, the wrist. so it was through the wrist and uh, through the... Um, just above the ankle. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet the wounds are not in those places. So the wounds are actually not authentic to a crucifixion, but they are authentic to the art and the iconography. Yes, that, which is important because if you were to try to uh, convey something, you would want it in something that most people would be aware of. Uh, you would, if they were people bleeding in the wrist, they would just that they would kill themselves. Uh, and the same, you know, the the feet would be above it. But if you have wounds that are mo- most commonly associated with the crucifixion, then that would make sense that you are trying to, uh, you know, portray that. So uh, it makes sense to me, anyways. Uh, it, uh, just to clarify, are you saying that? Um the person themselves is portraying them accurately or the a greater power is imposing them. Well, we, we don't know where these, these wounds really come from. No, 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 no but I mean, no in, in, in what you were saying then, are you suggesting that a greater power is producing the wounds or um, in line with our beliefs and expectations so that we recognize them? Or are you suggesting um, well, that the person is manifesting them in this in this recognizable form because because the shroud of turin accurately depicts a crucifixion i do know that since i have a copy of the shroud i know i know um although yours does need ironing the um (laughs) you see the the shroud of turin uh one of the one of the arguments about it being original arguments about it being 
inauthentic mm. was the positioning of the wounds. Right. And then it was discovered, you know, from um, from uh, research and from accounts of crucifixions that actually the wounds on the shroud were uh, anatomically accurate, right. rather than rather than. But it, it does, you know, is it? I mean. Is it the person who's manifesting the wounds um, themselves uh, in, a, in areas of their body that they believe the wounds or their condition to expect the wounds to, to appear? Or is it that they're being imposed or is it that they're self-inflicted? I know that's the thing we don't know. Uh, I think we, we say, can rule out self-inflicted in most well, cases. Well, I was going to say it's self-inflicted, meaning they, they do it physically. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's no, no. Uh, there is a theory, of course, that they committed uh, self-inflicted mentally. Yes, I mean uh, there is, there are. Um, I think in one or two, uh, in one or two cases, it has been um, recorded that the person was self-harming. In effect, right. they were physically, you know, physically themselves. Right. But, I but, mean, they, we, we, but we, those cases are, you know, quite right. rare. But we see that cross over into ghost hunting because now we have, of course, everybody shows their great scratches and bite marks, of course, from demons oh, that they're out there. And, uh, you know, it's it's similar to that. And, and the other part of it in ghost hunting is if you were to uh, – a lot of psychics, when they see spirits, they don't see them when they die. They see them, uh, you know, how they're most known, for instance. Um, George Washington, you would see him, and perhaps is you would be most portrayed. And same with Weiss. Weiss ghosts might wear glasses. It's just uh, so they're more recognizable. Uh, but I don't know. It, gives, it opens up a lot of questions, uh, for sure. That's no doubt about it. Um, I, do we have any answer to them? Uh, I guess it's a goes to your own belief, right? Well, there is that old saying: you see the ghost, or you see the the UFO that you're conditioned to see, or you expect to see. Yeah, makes uh, sense. It, it's a fascinating. I mean, the ability of the brain to uh, affect the body is is not only well known, but it's also very, very bizarre. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people, the placebo effect uh, is probably the most well known of these. Of the oh, sure. There you go. The yeah. Of the brain on the body, and I'm not just talking about the an effect of making a person well. Um, I've had first-hand experience in my nursing days of uh, the brain effectively making somebody much worse. So it, it, it's a two-way street, um, right? You know, it—that's it, uh, part of what the the fascination is, isn't it? Uh, these, I think so. These conundra that we can't solve, um, and that are so open for uh, debate and discussion. Oh, absolutely. What, what is interesting, and one of the things that you, you raised, and has always given me a great deal of comfort when I'm uh, in a building or at a location that's said to be demonically infested, is that I know that uh, I'm going to be fine. <laughs> having, having seen all of these demonic attacks, these horrific demonic attacks portrayed on television, um, on the TV shows and, and such, um, I know that I'm going to be perfectly fine because if a few, if three scratches on the back of my you know neck or the small of my back, maybe a bite mark, if that's, the, 
if that's the very best shot a demon can take, mm-hmm. then yeah, bring it on. You know, yeah, you, can, I, you know, I, I've I've got worse from 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 my kitty. You know, it's it's no. I got worse from my kids. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's like, I mean, is. Is that the best shot a demon can take? Is just to you know put a few scratches on, and it, it seems to be that demons aren't really that effective and powerful at dealing with um, you know people in their homes. So I, I guess that yeah, why are we fighting the demons? Why do we need to you know battle them? Because it, we don't we don't call in an exorcist to get rid of the cat. We should. And yet you know. Cat scratches, cat scratches and biters, and you know we we don't we don't call in Zach, do we? Yeah. Anyway, all right. So I've got an unusual one, and this comes from the uh, account published in the Skeptical Inquirer in the summer of 1982. Okay. Well, the Skeptical Inquirer. Go on. Skeptic Inquirer. You know, if you if you've uh, you know if uh, Skeptic Inquirer. The following account from one of the most skeptical sources possible tells... <laughs> what, Nickel or Randy? <laughs> it is Randy, the big cheese himself. There you go. <laughs> this, is all, this is all about Dr. Uh, Lindgren. Uh, it's amazing talent. Arthur Lindgren, a phys- uh, Pennsylvania physician, had a uh, remarkable ability. He could identify record albums without looking at the label. Wow. Yes, yes. I mean, for those who don't know records, these are these round vinyl things that had a little no, label. Incredi- in them. They're incredibly popular nowadays. Good, good. But Well, they're back. But anyways. They're back in our supermarkets. So he, he, identify, he could identify uh, simply by looking at the grooves on the surface. Uh, Dr. Lindgren uh, imposes only one restriction on challenging to his uh, strange talent. The music must be classical, orchestra, uh, wow, well, I can't say that, orchestral, and uh, post-Mozart. <laughs> well, he certainly got his uh, restrictions. <laughs> Even Well, probably because he doesn't know the other music, right? That would make, maybe that's what he knows, and that's, well, whatever. Even with such restrictions, uh, this challenge was taken by James Rickett. <laughs> Professional magician, well-known investigator of these... And, and, and Santa Claus look-alike. And Santa Claus look-alike. Uh, seemingly uh, of Carol events commissioned by the magazine Discover to test the Dr. Strange ability. A skeptical Randy collected some recordings, covered the labels and uh, matrix numbers on them, and uh, visited uh, Lindgren. The doctor's compelling demonstration convinced and astounded the uh, hard-headed investigator. I didn't say that. Lindgren immediately spotted two different recordings of Stanovinsky's uh, Right to Spring, wrote Randy. Stanovinsky's Right to Spring, yeah. And correctly identified Ravel's Bolero, Trotsky's uh, 1812 Overture, Holt's (laughs) The planets and Beethoven's sex sympathy, even though he expressed puzzlement over the extra cut in the disc. Finally, uh, he identified uh, Beethoven's Prothemius Overture. 
whatever. Randy also uh, presented Lundgren with two controlled items. The doctor declared one to be gibberish and another to be a vocal solo of some kind. The first turned out to be that of uh, Alice Cooper. <laughs> and the second uh, was a lecture called, So You Want to Be a Magician. Uh, certainly concluded Randy. Arthur Lindring comes close as that definition has ever been seen. So there you go. He astounded Randy. So that that's worth the price of admission alone. Well, it is. But do you know what? Um, I I wouldn't be I wouldn't be rushing to say that that was uh, paranormal uh, or supernatural. I would I would certainly say it's an astounding faculty of that particular person. But there are. There are people who um, I think Stan Lee. We've got a series at the moment called Stan Lee Super Super uh, Superhumans, and there are yeah. people who have these extraordinary abilities. Right. Um, now, the isn't it paranormal because it isn't normal? Uh, no, 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 no. Okay. It would only be not normal if it's you know not done by the majority of the population or you know isn't mainstream. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not paranormal because, you know, uh, now if you take a record, uh, it has a, it has a single groove on each side yep. and that groove follows a pattern and that pattern is read by a moving needle. Now that pattern is an analog, um, an analog, uh, that the, the, an analog track that the needle follows. It right. has oscillations and it wouldn't be beyond the wit of man to assume that that guy, that, that Arthur, whatever his name was... Physician, doctor, Lynn. Uh, ...had taught himself uh, to read the grooves. In other words, he's, he's recognising the actual patterns, the physical patterns. He must have good freaking eyes if he can do that. Well, there are people who, who demonstrate these extraordinary abilities uh, to do things... Um, that ordinary us mere mortals can't do. Mm-hmm. So uh, for that, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be at all surprised. And I'm surprised that uh, Randy uh, gave that more, you know, an, such an attribution because it's quite well known, uh, particularly in some of the um, those on the autistic spectrum. Uh, I, f- I forget the exact term now. Uh, I've demonstrated in Rain Man, for example, the human brain can. Uh, in certain circumstances, be highly focused and can be trained. I mean, I'll give you one example. It's, it's not related to reading records, but it does give you an example of the human okay. brain. Now, my eldest son, Ethan, he's now seven. When he was 18 months old, he astounded um, the staff at the kindergarten at the nursery school because he could, um, if you showed him... Uh, a covered picture with a small square of one of uh, Thomas the Tank Engine. Now, there were 70 of them in the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, he could tell you the name and the colour of the engine from one tiny portion and, uh, of, a, of an image. You could cover up a large area of the picture and just leave one small image, perhaps of a little bit of the smokestack or a little bit of a wheel or a little... And he could tell you the name of the engine and the colour of the engine. Ooh. That was when he was two, uh, two years old. Ooh. Now, he he astounded the cat. He astounded the to the, the the staff at the 
to kindergarten. And it was, you know, it was something to behold when he was doing it. And he could do it all the time. And that's how, because he was fascinated by Thomas, because he looked at all the pictures, he had the models, he, he read the books, he watched it on television, and his brain had been programmed to recognise these shapes and patterns instantly and associate them with the character. And it wouldn't be, you know, entirely uh, beyond uh, belief or beyond uh, being accepted that this, that this physician... And a physician is used to dealing, you know, in, in, in detail. You know, he, he has to look at things in, in good detail mm-hmm. uh, and, can, and study things. Now, if he'd spent his entire life listening to post-Mozart classical orchestral music with a collection of records, over time his, he would see the pattern over and over on the disc. But yet he, he, he identified the two control ones as well. Well, he didn't, because what he said was one of them was an Alice Cooper track, which was gibberish, because he didn't recognise the pattern, but he saw the chaotic waveform of rock music and said... That's, no, no, that's... no, no, that's not right. You missed... Mis- oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> he, 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 one of them he said was a male vocalist, which is Alex Cooper, and the other one he said it was gibberish, was a recording of a lecture of So You Want to Be a Magician. Well... So you know, it, was, it was talking, not singing, right. and well, the other one... one was a male singer. Well, one of the features, of the, Excuse me. That, that track, that, that groove, is an analogue, and so... Yeah, it refle- tell me that. Yeah, well, it reflects exactly the waveform of the original sound. I, I think he had psychic ability, that's what I think. I don't. I, th- I think what you're dealing with here is simple pattern recognition. Yeah, I don't believe so, not in such a fine detail. I, I easily believe it can be done, and... Um, I, I'm not surprised by that at all. It is an extraordinary power. It would be a superpower uh, because it, you know, it's absent in the majority of the population. But for somebody who has spent a long time studying records and probably collecting records, we don't know all of the details. But I wouldn't be at all surprised by somebody okay. who could... I mean, I can... Because, as you're aware, um, a lot of my, my uh, studies relate to sound. Right. And so often I'm looking at sound graphs, and I can look at a sound graph, which is very similar to the, the, the groove, right? it's right. Like a straight down, and I can understand the frequencies. Yeah, it's a big difference between a sound graph and, and a groove in a record. There, there actually isn't a, a Yes, there is. A, Huge difference. No, there isn't. A, in reality, there isn't, because that Just groove, size alone matters. Only the physical size, but the human eye is actually capable of detecting very I, small... That's your opinion. I'll, I'll, I'll yield no, no, to no, it. No, no, it's but... a medical fact. The human eye. No, it's not a medical. Don't tell me it's fact now. You're telling me exactly I, I, how he's doing it. That's not no, a fact. I'm telling you what is you a tell fact. You're telling me your theory on how he's doing it. What I'm telling you that is a fact is that the human eye can discern incredibly small um, I agree with you on that. differences. Yes, I agree with you on that. Way smaller, in fact, in the degree of microns. So way smaller than the grooves on a record. Okay. So I don't find that extraordinary. I find it... Uh, Interesting. I find it, you know, it's a rare human attribute, but one that I think can be entirely explained well, uh, within the realms of. So I will let that. Oh, my so. Fair enough. Fair enough. So we only got a couple of minutes left, and I got a quick one. I just want to get out there. This is really just one of those things to make you go, huh? Oh. And it's called Plum Lucky. While at school, 19th century poet Emily 
British champ was uh, green, given a taste of uh, English plum pudding. Ooh, do you know what that tastes like? I do. By a M. Day Ford Fordigo. I'm gonna say, call him Fordigo for just for English. Yeah, because you're well, yeah. All right. Um, exactly. So, anyways, uh, ten years later, uh, this champ. That was the guy who introduced the, the guy to uh, enter the restaurant and asked for a piece of uh, plum pudding uh, he had seen uh, being prepared. Unfortunately, it was uh, reserved for another diner. The diner turned out to be M. de Ooh. After an interval of many um, years, the Des Champ um, was at a dinner party. Uh, where plum pudding was uh, being uh, served. During the meal, someone who uh, had been invited to uh, dinner at another apartment entered the, entered the building uh, but had lost his way and turned up in error at the, the uh, department of Des Champ. And guess who it was? Um, M. de Porto. Three, three times in my life, I have eaten plum pudding, and uh, exclaimed this champ. And three times I have seen Mr. Ember Porto. Oh. I like that. That's pretty cool. I do like that. And I think Richard Wiseman did an interesting take on how we perceive coincidence. Really? Because yeah, because it. I'm not disputing that he saw uh, his friend or this person known to him when he was eating uh, uh, plum pudding. Yep. But how many times... It was a stranger, it wasn't a friend, remember that. Well, this this person. Um, But I wonder how many times that person was present when plum pudding wasn't, and therefore went unnoticed. Because one of the... I mean, you see this actually on social media, like an an analogue of this, is you get people who will report the number of times that they wake up at precisely 3.14 or 3.06. Exactly, yes. Now they probably wake up at all manner of random times, but they only—they it's only significant. In fact, one of them today, which is why I said three fourteen, and put that very time. I said uh, four times this week I've woken up at three fourteen. Uh, I've had, and, and then went on to say in one of the comments that they are—they've always been an insomniac, and they wake up uh, most nights of the week several times. Mm-hmm. Uh, but recently, they've been noticing that it's uh, often 3.14. Often that they notice. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I remember somebody, it was a statistician some years ago, um, who was responding to this idea of uh, people walking. It was actually somebody who walked down the streets of, in London. And they bumped into somebody that they hadn't seen for a number of years. Uh, and they said, what are the chances of that, uh, you know, com- bumping into an old friend I hadn't seen in 25 years? And he, he did a statistical breakdown. And surprisingly, it's incredibly common. Uh, you know, the, 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 these, it's like uh, you ask somebody if you have, I think it's 10, 20 people in a room. Um, what's the chances of two of them having the same birthday? And people go, well, it's 20 divided into 365, blah, 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 blah. An actual fact, it's about uh, about 11 to 1. And if you have, um, 
I think you need a group of about 36 people, uh, 32 people, and you will find that um, out of that group, you can virtually guarantee them, two of them will have to say. We've, what I'm saying is essentially coincidences are much more uh, common or much more normal. Than being random. Than we, than we believe. I mean, one of the, uh, I don't know if I've got. Anyways, the coincidence is we have to leave. So uh, before yeah, I do, yeah. I, I have to mention uh, two things. Uh, program uh, notes tomorrow uh, and Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. Uh, it will be a stag party with uh, Stephen Scott, Stephen Parsons, and myself. So tune in. United. Tune in, and uh, you know. Don't what they... tune in if you're a feminist or you're easily offended. Oh, please don't. Yeah, no, no, no. no. <laughs> Not like last time. Yeah, you will. Yeah. And then uh, on Monday's show on Ghost Chronicles, uh, the morning edition, we will have a. Ouija board, a haunted Ouija board that has never been opened and was told to be removed out of a store because of all kinds of evil things. And we will be opening that live on the air. And uh, we will also you know, we'll continue on our exploration of Zozo. And I will bring in my dictionary of demons to see if old Zozo made the uh, dictionary of demons right on the air. So uh, tune in Monday, too. So it's 11 a.m. I, I, I know why it's always Zozo, but that's for another day. Yep. Anyway, so uh, thanks for listening. Uh, we'll see you next time. Like a blast. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.